Hello, everyone. Today, I'm speaking once again with constitutional lawyer, Missouri Senator, and best-selling author, Josh Hawley. We discuss his new book, Manhood, exploring the structural significance of biblical tradition within people's lives, how those enduring narratives elevate us above human defaults such as tyranny and slavery, why self-mastery is the precondition for ordered liberty, why young men have lapsed in education industry and reproduction, and what steps might be available to help, well, individuals and our society put itself back in something like habitable order. Looking forward to it. So I've been reading your book this morning, and it, it was sort of a strange experience, I would say, because strangely enough, or maybe not, it's structured in a manner that's almost identical to the book that I'm writing at the moment. How about that? Yeah, yeah. So I'm, I'm writing this book called We Who Wrestle With God, and um, I'm obviously animated by the same spirit, so to speak, that you are, because the books parallel each other quite remarkably. And so I'm hoping my book will be better, but we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> I have no doubt. Welcome back to Wetwire. Today we're talking about Josh Hawley's latest book, Manhood, The Masculine Virtues America Needs. I'm Julian Paul Butt. And I'm Sean Andis. And who, and who finer to tell us all about manhood? And what a homoerotic title that is, too. I just want to bring that <laughs> up like from the beginning. Like, basically, the idea, or Holly's idea, is that masculinity is in crisis again. And he's going to rescue all of us soy faces from our video games and porn addictions. <laughs> The fist-pumping MAGA senator from Missouri has joined the Manosphere book club. At least the at least the book club of the, the Manosphere. The, he's <laughs> been he's actually been in the Manosphere for for a while now. <laughs> and and he's in the crisis of manhood genre among Jordan Peterson's 12 rules of life, 12 12, 12 rules for life. Uh, we also have Jack Donovan's The Way of Men and even the sort of uh, pseudo-spiritual Robert Bly in Iron John. He, he's got he's got the conspirituality thing. That's yeah, that's well, that's one of the earlier entries. You know, people who might not be familiar with Robert Bly. He is an American was an American poet. And he was also this fixture in the early 90s, I guess, in what was called the mythopoetic men's movement. Which was basically the idea that we all need, all the men need to get in touch with this sort of primitive, wild aspect of themselves because we've become too civilized, basically. <laughs> all we need to do is eat meat and not have access to modern medicine, and we're good. There's, there's a bunch more to it than that. I'm not saying it makes sense, but there is, it's actually quite a bit more involved. It really is. It, but we're not really here to talk about some mid to late 90s i mean honestly late 80s uh uh manosphere sects yeah like we're here to talk about proto manosphere proto manosphere <laughs> we're here to talk about holly's recent book and holly occupies a niche in the manosphere that we haven't really talked about that much as we have compared to however much we've talked about andrew tate or incels, or the MGTOW boys. The niche that Holly occupies is really the Bible thumper niche of the Manosphere, which is not as totally critically online, totally chronically online, as we usually see. Critically or chronically. I mean, really both. <laughs> <laughs> but when you think about the Bible thumper Manosphere, think like promise keepers. I think that's a great example of them because they're that's the perfect they're sort of example. Like, yeah, these are like the OGs of the Bible thumping manosphere. You know, where it's you're you're upholding these everything is couched in these biblical principles. And that becomes the that that's the the substance and the the reason for all of these ideas that they have about how men should behave and you know, they're all drawn from, you know, a le like sort of sourced, I guess, from biblical story passages. But this isn't really a new theme for Holly, though. 
even though we don't talk about this particular Bible thumping niche so much, Holly does. And, you know, just recently he spoke in April of this year at the Stronger Men's Conference, which is a thing of its own. So, Jules, this is going to be a this is going to be a Jules react moment. He has not seen this clip. So, this is it. Lana! Lana! <laughs> what? Danger Chuck zone! Norris driving a tank, shooting blanks out of I, maybe Uzis <laughs> or Mac-10s? I, I mean, come on. A thrash metal band? All right, Jules, dis describe it all. <laughs> this is the most Christian America screeching eagle masculine thing that I've ever seen in my life. Everything is to the backdrop of lights. Well, it's a, it's a dark stadium. Have you ever seen the, a monster truck the, rally? It's, it's a, a monster, monster truck, truck rally, rally with, with an, an actual, actual fucking tank, tank going yeah. over. I, I and, think they are cars. Is that what I'm seeing here? Chuck Norris, Chuck Norris <laughs> firing <laughs> semi-automatic pistols. <laughs> and, they're, and they're playing Danger Zone of all possible things. Danger Zone. <laughs> <laughs> so this is what America needs. So like they, I mentioned, if only we had more of this, then all of our problems would be solved, and we'd have Christ back because he he left us. Uh, he, no, he went out. He went out. He went out for milk, and we haven't seen Christ Jules, yet. You got you got it backwards there, though. Before Christ will come back, we need real men like this. <laughs> you really might be onto something with that, though, about the the sort of we need masculine men before Jesus returns kind of thing. That, that might be the direction we see at least the biblical manosphere going. Usually, the millenarians are all about something to do with the middle east and they're accelerationist about it if they're the hardcore ones so like i mentioned this isn't exactly a new theme for holly though this is probably a new height or low for bible manosphere this stronger men's conference holly's been vocal about what we're calling a crisis or at least what he's calling a crisis in masculinity for a couple of years at least this is him on the Axios on HBO show in 2021. Senator, you gave a pretty hot speech at the National Conservatism Conference in Orlando. You talked about the left's attack on men of America. Yeah. Why masculinity as your new big issue? Well, I think what the left is doing is attacking America. They're saying that America is systemically oppressive and men are systemically responsible. What's a man to you? Paint a picture. What's a man? Well, a man is a father, a man is a husband, a man is somebody who takes responsibility. As conservatives, we've got to call men back to responsibility. We've got to say that spending your time not working, and we have more and more men who are not working, spending your time on video games, spending your time watching porn online while doing nothing is not good for you, your family, or this country. So a viewer's watching this and they're thinking, really, what the liberals are doing are going to push me to watch Pornhub more or play Donkey Kong more? Do you mean that literally? <laughs> My God, I know. Bi I know. I know. Biden has made me want to watch a lot more. <laughs> what the the daddy porn, the the old man porn? Uh, just in general, I, I just I, <laughs> I, I I see Biden and I think sexy thoughts. <laughs> I I have this feeling like, despite him being uh, so ridiculously Irish in ancestry, that the man doesn't drink. And yet he slurs every fucking word. I think that's a medication cocktail that he's on that's causing him to slur. <laughs> 
I'm sure they have him so completely like spun up, you know, he's got the uppers to get him going, keep him going during the day and the downers to put him to bed at six o'clock at night. And <laughs> the the blue <laughs> pills lift me up. The red pills take me down. <laughs> well, I, I know I'm going to regret this, but let's get into the oh, book. Jules. I can't wait. And and I also wa- I also want everybody to know that this this episode was absolutely not my idea. This was originally supposed to be a review of some of the reviews of Holly's book, but Jules decided to <laughs> read the damn thing and make us a week late with releasing this episode. So so basically, what I'm saying is that this better be fucking good. <laughs> I want to hear insights. I want to hear deep analysis. I want a thorough understanding of the psyche of this this, this sort of munchkin, you know, of, of, from Missouri. I'm going to go as deep as this shallow puddle goes. Let's let's start with what Becca Rothfield had to say in the Washington Post. Insofar as it is possible to impose an organizational principle onto manhood, the book takes up four distinct projects, though not in any particular order. The first is half-hearted biblical exegesis. Exegesis? 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 I've never seen that word before. I I don't know what it is. It's like an exposition. Okay. The second is wholehearted self-promotion. Hawley is keen to cast himself as a man of the people by neglecting to name his elite alma maters. This is an important aspect of this book. He doesn't mention he went to Stanford. He doesn't mention he went to Yale. Name dropping the less demonized, and he he is he is in that way very similar to Ron DeSantis in his book. Oh, these guys are cut from the same cloth. They're absolutely cut from the same cloth. They're they're going to these Ivy League schools. I think they're sharing the same consultants. <laughs> yeah, I think so too. Name dropping the less demonized university where he says he taught many floundering young men, the University of Missouri School of Law, reminiscing about his participation in organized sports in his case, football, and selectively remembering the parts of his childhood that he spent on his grandparents' farm, where he only went during vacations. He is effusive about his grandfather, a farmer, and his uncle, who started a concrete pouring business, but is comparatively silent about his father, whose profession, banker, he conveniently neglects to mention. His autobiographical forays are desperately folksy. He remembers Christmases with a tree in the parlor and a fire on the hearth and summers of chasing fireflies in the front yard. And recalls that meeting his wife felt somehow like being at my grandparents' house in Kansas. Which sounds punitively unsexy. (laughs) Holly's third fixation is liberalism, defined not as a political system, but as an all-encompassing ethos that consists primarily of the fetishization of choice. There is no sin for liberals, he writes, but the sin of tolerance but the sin of intolerance. The faulty account of liberalism as a philosophy of personal morality rather than a philosophy of state action is buttressed by even faultier intellectual history. It would be impossible to survey all that Hawley gets wrong. Suffice it to say that America would be considerably more interesting if the Democrats read as much German philosophy as he believes they do. But his most impressive, bizarre assertion is that the Greek philosopher Epicurus is the forefather of modern political theory. This is all still from the Washington Post. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but it's it's it is. This is the best analysis that I've read of this book. Yeah, it's better than anything we could put together. That's for sure. Holly insists on interpreting Epicurus as a hedonist, even though the thinker urged his followers to moderate their appetites and as a proto liberal, even though he was famously allergic to politics. The final strand of manhood is standard self-help fare, which is. Much of it is inoffensive. Who would contest that you should stop buying stuff to make yourself feel better or even more banali aim to do something with your life? Right, These are just so general. <laughs> <laughs> hey, keep I breathing too- and maybe once or twice a day eat. I, too, regard courage, assertiveness and ambition as virtues. But if men aren't the only ones who display them, in what sense are they manly virtues in particular? Surely women, too, can aim to do something with their lives. Holly writes that a man is built for commitment. (laughs) (laughs) From stem to stern. (laughs) 
<laughs> but he thinks men are supposed to marry women, so presumably he thinks that women are built for commitment too. Men are meant to lead, but wait, Genesis says God directed man and woman to rule. So the, the reason I, I wanted to throw this particular clip into this script is because I just thought it was, it encapsulated so many things about Holly's, I don't even know what to call it. I mean, the, to call this thing a book, I guess I, any, anything between two covers can be a book if it has enough pages, I suppose. <laughs> 256 the, miserable pages, I can assure you. How she started off with this insofar as it is as it is possible to impose an organizational principle onto manhood you know you you mentioned the the DeSantis connection a minute ago Jules this is another connection between Holly and DeSantis both of them are absolutely terrible writers they're so bad the, this book it, it is it is so nonsensical and it, it, the whole thing is so entirely incoherent in the way that it's organized and in the points that it's trying to make that you can't, you can't really, it's like, as they say, it's not even wrong. That's how much of a mess this book is. And that's all, that's also why I've made a bunch of fun of you. I'm like made a bunch of fun, you know, out of, out of you reading it because it's, it's ridiculous. The book is, is a terrible way to spend your time. Don't do this again. <laughs> I can, I can assure you, I will absolutely be doing this terrible behavior again because I don't learn my lesson. Well, if you don't, if you decide to do it again, at least get your script, at but least I, get your script in on time. But that's what I was going to say. <laughs> I, I will, I will do just that. Don't you worry. Sean. This has happened no. twice now. This is twice. Twice. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> this book and DeSantis's book, both being incoherent as they are. Preachy and incoherent. I was it certain, is the worst combination. I was certain that both of these authors were definitely the authors. I had not a single doubt for a single page whether or not these might have been ghostwritten no, by somebody. No, it's too terrible to be ghostwritten. Or phoned in. No, it's too no. terrible for a professional to have been hired, even if you got them on Fiverr to write these dog shit pieces of literature, if we can call it that. Manuscripts. <laughs> Holly has a handful of themes that, that bring his book together to a degree. One of the themes that we see throughout the book is that he leans heavily into the idea of blue collar workers. He talks about writing. Uh, he, he talks about working as opposed to uh, uh, these sort of paper pushing activities that he vilifies in academia. He specifically favors manual labor, but in an odd sort of way, not in any of his policies. I guess it's not that odd. But the way that he talks, you'd think that he was a union rep for a second if you weren't paying attention and you skipped a couple of sentences. He also misses the total broadside of the barn in his criticism of elites, where he's describing this nefarious small group of people who run the media and academia and corporations Jews, which really is often <laughs> that's what I get people to it. <laughs> it's always it's I mean, always whenever the Jews. somebody uses elites like, and then they refer to the you know the small group of elites who run the media. That, that's it's just coded anti-Semitic language again all the time, which is just if you were to examine it for two fucking seconds, you're really just talking about capitalism and some of his stuff you could almost use interchangeably with some kind of a, a Marxist. I think rant. we need to come up with some kind of a, if you cut out, yeah, a we need to words. come up with some kind of a, of a game or something like that where, you know, like kind of like who said it better or whatever. And then, you know, like they did um, back. Um, was it Marx or anti-Semitism? Well, no, 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 <laughs> actually not, not really more. Is it like, is it a, is it a, a, like a 2023 conservative trying to appeal to blue collar workers or was it Marx? Because they do <laughs> yeah. it over and over again. They, they, they do everything except for come out and say class solidarity, but they, they want you to vote for a Republican who's going to give tax breaks to ultra wealthy people in corporations. 
and they want to bust up your union. Except the way they go about it is by telling you that there's some sort of higher solidarity beyond the, the organizing principle of, of, you know, of a bargaining unit or something like that. That there's some kind of higher spiritual solidarity that you can attain if you give up the union and you like sign up for Jesus. Yeah, uh, Jesus isn't gonna pay your rent. I can guarantee. Yeah, d- it. Does think, d- how much? How much money does uh, J- Jesus have in the the strike pay bank? <laughs> Holly seems to be a hall monitor from a small town, and that's his whole idea of what freedom means or what America should be. He comes from this town in Missouri where he grew up. He he was originally born in Arkansas, but he he grew up in this town of 5,000 people where it is in in the thick of Bible-thumping territory where everybody knows everyone else. And it may not necessarily be literally inbred in terms of people sleeping with each other's cousins, but it is a totally inbred ecosystem of a community that he thinks is exactly the model for how this should look, where it's just rural, white, and Christian. That's the whole idea of how everything should look. That's where he's coming from. Yeah, so he, he basically wants an, uh, a, a nation of 750,000 small towns. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he really just wants to bring it back to to the the settling colonies he's got this affinity for thomas jefferson that you see in other places and specifically referencing some of the remarks that jefferson made about this you know like the yeoman farmer and you know who was entirely self-sufficient and independent on his little patch of land and as being like um every man a king sort of attitude in, in response to, you know, them, them uh, liberating themselves from the King of England, that the, the new vision for America, Jeffersonian style, would be that every every U.S. male, no, fem, no women here, but U.S. male property owner would be a king of his own land, basically. And the, this sort of this sort of like mutual independence, I guess where it's one nation but everybody is sort of separate in them uh, unto themselves and it's 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 interesting that Jefferson had all those comments and the and that Hawley has made these references to this yeoman farmer that that Jefferson always extolled and but yet he also ha- he also has this same view about these small towns these things really do kind of fit together that's probably the most cohesive aspect of Hawley's worldview that I've seen so far because the rest of it doesn't make any fucking sense most of the time, but that actually does have some consistency. It doesn't. It doesn't work. There's no way you can make that work, obviously, because you you know who's running the sewer lines, who's running the power grid. You know, they, they, like where, is all this stuff going to be just totally dispersed with you know how, with a million uh, like small power stations all spread across the country? It works like the anarcho-capitalists think right, this shit exactly. works. Right, exactly. It's it's the fucking there's sea too steaders. many people. It's the it's the sovereign citizens. It, like, if we were going to all people. be you know trekking across the this sort of what at least what they what they advertise as being untouched wilderness, as if there were no Native Americans already there, you know the this totally uninhabited land for as far as the eye could see, then yeah, you could spread out, but. You know, that's done. I mean, this this isn't it's a an 18th, maybe early 19th century worldview that Holly's talking about. In in the 13 colonies, they were like something like 2.5 million people or something like that around 1776, s- somewhere in that ballpark. It, that's not a lot of people there. <laughs> there are more people in New Mexico right now. Than all of the 13 colonies. This is from the Washington Post article again. No amount of admonishment from Hawley and Peterson and other members of the surrogate dad brigade can change the patent fact that the world is uncontrollable and always has been. Men would not have to suffer with from the conviction that they are failing if they were encouraged to accept that total sovereignty over the chaos of interpersonal affairs is both impossible and undesirable. I mean, that's it in a nutshell. It's like, basically, you can't, you just, you can't deal with shit changing and you're trying to lock it down and, and, and turn back the clock on, on, you know, what it means to be alive in the 21st century. 
And for these guys, what it means when when uh, all these people who didn't have power or were marginalized or were oppressed are uh, suddenly able to have rights and are just starting to actually have <laughs> the, the the basic human decency afforded to them that has been the mainstay of some of the other privileged groups and classes all of a sudden their world is turned upside down because they're not the only ones and they can't fucking handle it. And you know, the, the, that clip in our, in our opening there about uh, Peterson remarking that the structure of his new book is very similar to Holly's book and whatever. I mean, seriously, if the structure of his book is similar to Holly's, that's like saying my book has no structure and I'm just winging it. Most of Holly's book is just anecdotes it's folksy anecdotes about visiting his grandparents' farm. It is a bunch of notes that he kept in a like in a in some you know in some knockoff moleskin underneath his mattress for the last ten years, and he's just been he's just been you know scribbling things down when he falls asleep at night, and then somebody else came you know he hired somebody to like organize it and turn it into sentences. <laughs> You know, and he, he was a cheapskate. He probably did hire the person off of Fiverr because there is that no, they did not do anything out of their way. That is for sure. I didn't. I didn't. I didn't catch uh, any any grave uh, grammatical errors. But oh, no, it was edited. I, I, I from am, the a couple of the cl- the excerpts that I read, it was definitely edited. You know, that the Peterson connection though is is something that I I I think that is really interesting because just like with Peterson. You have somebody who's talking a lot, but when you when you peel back the surface and you actually look at their writing, you know, there's the somebody who has this reputation for, I don't know, being thoughtful or I don't know how much I think of that about Holly. Um, somebody who is trying to perpetuate this this image of themselves. How about put it that way? They don't necessarily have a reputation. They wish they had a reputation for being this this thoughtful uh interrogator of reality, somebody who wants to understand the world deeply, but then you actually peel back and you look at what they've produced by their own hands, allegedly. And this is what they're proud of. This is the work that they're handing out to the world and saying, look what I made. And it's just bullshit. Yeah. It's absolutely terrible. (laughs) And that's, I mean, as soon as people have all these ideas about Peterson, but go ahead and crack open one of Peterson's book. If if you have an 11th grade education, you will be at least as capable of producing some piece of garbage as Peterson was. In the history of the world, part one, there's that part where, where the, the, the protagonist, I forget his name, he, he goes up and he's, he's at the unemployment office and, and uh, she says, all right, well, what do you do? Uh, Or what, what, what's your, what's your job type? And he says, stand up philosopher. She says, what's that? And he says, I coalesce the vapors of human existence. And he, and he goes on and she says, oh, you're a bullshit artist. (laughs) <laughs> I just don't have the heart to tell him when he starts these anecdotes that he's actually said this twice before two other episodes. Well, the, see, I'm counting on the possibility that maybe the people listening to this anecdote uh, or, or reference might not have seen or, or heard that other episode. Do you think we have a whole bunch so of new maybe listeners it'll be out just there? as good? <laughs> I'm counting on the new crop. <laughs> Meanwhile, burning all the people who've stuck with us throughout throughout your <laughs> shenanigans. In both of their cases, they they don't really have a great grasp on the philosophies that they use as the cornerstone of their arguments. I, I mean, think of think of Peterson when he's talking about again to beat a dead horse here on this podcast, but fucking. Uh, the postmodern uh, neo-Marxism, it, it, it's it's total nonsense. He has no grasp of what He's Marx sandwiching was talking words about, nor the postmodernists. It's just it's just a fucking this mashup. Is, this is but in the same this is the Panini Press approach to to reading philosophy. You just throw everything in there and, and then and, and, and you flap the iron, you know, slap the iron down and cook it for a while, and then he's got a new book. <laughs> 
And in the same way, Holly is using, uh, and we're going to get into this, so I don't want to, you know, skip ahead too much, but Epicurean philosophy, uh, which he also doesn't fucking understand. And he beats that dead horse uh, over and over again throughout the book while having little grasp of it. And I think in both of their cases, they're really just trying to add substance where there is no substance to their point by referencing old dead Europeans. It's, it's a it's, it's a really old tactic where you you take somebody, you take the name of a person who a lot of people are vaguely familiar with but haven't actually read anything from, and then you drop it down in there in the middle of a long, you know, explication about something, and it makes it seem as if you know what you're talking about because most of your audience doesn't. Yeah, his you, his book is written for I don't know somebody with a fifth grade le- reading level probably, and you're not you're just you're not going to find a lot of people that are that are deep into somebody like Epicurus in the Holly crowd. That's not where they're hanging. You know that's <laughs> that, that's not who they're reading. You know they're like this is not the target no, audience. That, that's more of a Da Vinci Code crowd probably, and you know so. <laughs> The thing about Epicurus, too, is that he realized quite a long time ago that he can do this because he, he wrote a piece complaining about how Epicurean liberalism 13 years ago in 2010. Yeah, this this isn't this isn't a new tirade for this guy. And, and really, his whole his whole thing is that he's just portraying everybody but himself as a godless sinner and suggesting that personal choice is some kind of a major problem and using these these uh, 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 dead Europeans to make it seem like, I mean, Greeks in this case, uh, to make it seem like what he's saying is fancy. But his entire argument is just endure, marry a cisgendered woman, suffer, be Christian, endure some more, have children, and don't complain. Unless your complaint is about liberals and porn now i i then that that i I don't tend to share jules's um like categorical disdain for europeans for some reason i've 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 read lots of dead europeans and some of them have very interesting things to say well it's not disdain i'm just saying it's not i i feel like people use dead europeans as this foundation of legitimacy and I don't share that idea. And so whenever I say it, I say it mockingly because even though lots of dead Europeans had great ideas, it's not in and of itself a good idea because it's some old dead European. Again, it's somebody who people have vaguely heard of. They're vaguely familiar with the idea of Epicureanism or something like that. Maybe, you know, it's it sounds some it sounds familiar to something they heard once and the uh, I, I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know if uh, I would feel different about it if it was like Mautza or something like that that he was talking about. You know, like, I'm not sure. Which is a dead Chinese guy. <laughs> yeah. No way. <laughs> cruise down. Oh, you cruise no, down. No, this is you. I, I'm, I, I'm, I guess I should read that, huh? Oh, sorry. I, no, I thought no, no, I got it. My bad. So, something that can definitely not be overstated about Holly's book is how transphobic he presents himself. He makes the case out of the gate that manhood is an immutable physiological feature with which people are born. Holly says as much in the very first chapter. Not long ago, I was sitting in a hearing of the Senate Judiciary Committee, of which I'm a member. Boy, Jesus. The pros. The topic was women's <laughs> rights, but as I waited my turn to ask questions, I noticed that the other side's star witness, a highly accomplished professor of an elite university, refused to use female-gendered terms, such as mother. Rather than take that apparently verboten word upon her lips, she kept saying over and over again, people with the capacity for pregnancy. I am not going to side with Holly in any respect right now. But I, this thing, that kind of stuff actually grates on me as well. The, for entirely different reasons, probably. But the, the idea of like going out of your way in the, in, in the, to, to sort, to create a new term for something 
rather than just allowing the term mother to be expanded. You know, like this is, but this here we're saying that like, I mean, mother has more meanings than it, than just bearing a child. And I think that that does actually, there is a question there. What are these additional meanings that mother has? And, you know, because it obviously does have more meanings. And so we're not going to distinguish childbearing, uh, you know, from something else. But this is, I don't, what he's talking about though is not count, is not contrasting mother and capacity for pregnancy. It's actually the word woman and capacity for pregnancy. And because that we'll hear this in the clip later on, but we're not talking about mother versus person with capacity for pregnancy the way that's the way Holly's presenting it, you know, to that end, like I, 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 you know, that doesn't, that that's, that's a little bit rougher to accept, you know, this, this sort of like um, the, the somersaulting sentence versus just the word mother. But the, but when it comes to distinguishing between woman and capacity for pregnancy, I see where the, you know, the, the person he's speaking about, he's, he's referring to, or she was, I, I could see why she's in, intentionally distinguishing between these two words because they're used in different ways. They are. And, and, and we, we have the context of, on the one hand, we could just ex- expand the definition in our, in our common vernacular. And also we have a crux of political animus in how we're, how we're approaching these terms that are lethal, making them lethal, where, where it, it, it would be one thing if we were just talking about these terms and, and the context was trying to find a way to describe something accurately in the context of an evolving culture. But it is not the context of an evolving culture that is more aware, more accepting, more inclusive. It is the context of a I, I I don't mean to be hyperbolic about this, but a battlefield where there are people who are actively being harmed and killed in places like Florida right now as a direct consequence of these sorts of language wars, these these semantics and 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 these questions of uh, uh, trying to put people in a particular category and trying to use terms in a certain way and trying to define people in this way or that way. All of these things are to the backdrop of an, an, an all out crusade from the far right on transgender people. You've referred to people with a capacity for pregnancy. Would that be women Many women, cis women, have the capacity for pregnancy. Many cis women do not have the capacity for pregnancy. Um, there are also trans men who are capable of pregnancy, as well as non-binary people who are capable of pregnancy. So this isn't really a women's rights issue. It's a, it's, we can it's recognize a that this impacts women while also recognizing that it impacts other groups. Those things are not mutually exclusive, Senator Hawley. Oh, so your view is, is that the core of this, this right then is about what? So um, I want to recognize that your line of questioning um, is transphobic, <laughs> um, and it opens up trans people to violence by not recognizing that. Wow, you're saying that I'm opening up people to violence by asking whether or not women are the folks who can have pregnancies? So I'm one, I want to note that one out of five transgender uh, persons have attempted suicide. So I think it's important Because of my line of questioning? So we can't talk about it? Because denying that trans people exist and pretending not to know that they exist I'm denying that trans people exist by asking you you if you're talking about women having pregnancies. Do you believe that uh, men can get pregnant? No, I don't think so. <laughs> so you are denying that trans people exist. Thank and that leads to violence. Is this how you run your classroom? Are students allowed to question you? Absolutely. Or are they also treated like this? Where no, you, no, no. They're, they're told that to they're a- opening up people to oh, violence. We have a good time in my class. You should join. Oh, I bet. You might learn a lot. Even though he attacks the existence of transgender people based on physiology specifically, or what uh, he would say in his words as, as biological men and biological women, he spends the rest of his book talking about qualities he ascribes to manhood, which are about the character of a person as they relate to others, which are social qualities that make a man. Again, 
Holly's incoherent. I yeah, it's just it, it, it he just keeps he he is he is he is consistently <laughs> incoherent. <laughs> there, there's nothing you can't make sense out of this. This is what I meant when I said he's not even wrong. It, it's just, these are fundamental logical errors that he is oblivious to. Obviously, it is crazy that somebody gets all the way through a law school, gets a degree, practices law teaches fucking law and then gets elected to the U.S. Senate and can't string together two thoughts. <laughs> yeah. It, it, the, 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 Donnie, you're, you're, you're like a child who walks into a middle of a movie and wants to know what it's all about. This is a, this is challenging stuff for Holly putting two thoughts together in a row. <laughs> he has a great crowd for it though. I mean, he plays all the Christian nationalist reactionary chords including transphobia and he uses those faux in that faux intellectualism in the vein the vein of Peterson who we were just talking about and Ben Shapiro he spends half the chapters of his book talking about his vision of what it means to be a man i probably like shapiro the least of those 3 but he's also probably the smartest of those 3 without question and that's the worst part which is so fucking obnoxious. But at, at no point does he mention in any of these chapters genitals, despite his assertion that that's uh, that a person's birth junk is their gender. A fixture in his books, a fixture in his book is six types of men that he sees as archetypes of masculinity. Each one he thinks defines a type of manhood that America needs. The husband, the father, Warrior, builder, priest, and the king. Which which one do you think Holly thinks he is? <laughs> uh, he has all the rings, Sean. <laughs> he has one ring to rule them all. <laughs> you can you can tell as soon as he begins talking about them that he's totally out of his depth. He 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 doesn't know where to go from the beginning. He makes it as clear as mud what any of these mean or what even men would do to fulfill these archetypes that he's described. Instead, he spends a chapter on each one of them, chapters 5 through 10, 10 being the last chapter, telling anecdotes about his high school football career or visiting his grandparents' Kansas farm or complaining about Epicurean liberalism. There it is. Which is the most ridiculous fucking term that I've read all week. And giving a Sunday school sermon about Genesis. He he barely strays from Genesis throughout the entire book. It's really hard to tell the difference between one manly character and another in his model of how this works. But they're all about enduring, suffering, and working with a Puritan ethic. This is more from Becca Rothfield in the Washington Post. Chapter breaks may as well be accidental. Most passages could be reshuffled into any section without any loss of coherence. Holly identifies six roles that men should occupy. Husband, father, warrior, builder, priest, king. But never manages to distinguish them clearly from one another. Men in each guise are supposed to do hackneyed and abstract things like endure. The first of his six characters, he says this about being a husband. Eve and Adam are made to fit together. What does this mean for men today? It means that, contrary to the voices of our age, a man is built for commitment. He's built to open himself up to others and to pursue life with them, to sacrifice, to curb his own self-interest, to journey out from himself. That is what we call love. Love is not an adventure in self-expression. It's an adventure in self-giving. In love, we do just the opposite of what the Epicurean myth counsels. We surrender control over our own lives to someone else. We abandon our focus on self and focus on someone else. This is just a bad fucking wedding toast. You know, you know, you know that line that everybody uses in their fucking wedding. Love is patient. Love is kind. Yada, 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 yada. It's it's that. But with some bizarre tinge of right wing added to it and some mention of Epicurean liberalism. <laughs> 
Love is selfless. Love is an adventure. Love is the opposite of the Epicurean myth. Love is (laughs) abandoning our focus on ourself. Love is focusing on someone else. Love is a journey. (laughs) He repeats the same basic concept in the next chapter, chapter five or chapter six in Father. What are any of us when we put away our family stories and the obligations that come with them, the places we grew up in and the ways that shaped us and the thousand one other things that we didn't choose at all, yet that together make us who we uniquely are? We are no persons at all. It's impossible to imagine yourself without these things. Just try it because they are the very components of personhood and they are all virtually unchosen. The problem with the liberal Epicurean ideal is that it refuses to acknowledge the things that make us individuals, the things that give us a foundation for what we believe and what we prioritize. Instead, modern liberals believe that the world can be remade entirely around our unfettered personal choice. Fatherhood stands as an impediment to this misguided ethic. Everything he's talking about is a fucking accident. (laughs) <laughs> like where, where you're born, who your family is, a thousand one other things that you didn't choose. But those are the things that make us uniquely us. And the, the and we are no persons at all. It's I mean, all of it is they're all just lucks of the, like a luck of the draw. You just happen to be born someplace. And that is a fascinating sort of contradiction to the usual bootstraps mentality. That, you know, these are all things of your choice that you, it's all this merit that gives you these things. So basically somebody could be born into an incredibly wealthy family and have all the advantages of the world and end up in the U.S. Senate with a law degree. And (laughs) (laughs) The worst part about this is his, again, another contradiction. Ah, surprise. He... He's describing fucking structuralism without even realizing it. The thing that he hates so much where, as he describes the left being these people who say that, well, society influences people and, and helps form them into what they are. And that's, that's where these liberals are, are just immoral, uh, uh, God hating heathens. And, and that's where they're totally wrong because everybody makes life whatever they want to make it. Anyway, you're entirely you're just your surroundings. Yeah. And, and this is also, in, you know, in its own way, directly in opposition to the objective realism that Ayn Rand talks about. You know, this sort of like personal story of achievement of this of this individual wrestling with his environment and the people in, the, in his world and coming out on top. And this is really he's saying, oh, that's just Epicurean liberalism. So this this is kind of something new. I I was going to mention something about the rest of the archetypes, but they're really the same as the others. The remaining four are just the same stuff with the words shuffled into a different order. Here's the gist of the last four. The warrior should be brave and aggressive. The builder should work hard. The priest should worship the Christian God and the king should be aggressive. Yada, yada, yada. Yeah, it's not surprising that Hawley has so much trouble being specific about these archetypes. Uh, the, because if he was going to express anything more than this, than a vague idea, it's going to give away the fact that he swiped the entire thing from, uh, from first off, from Young from Carl Jung and then from the people that came after Jung and, and, and the rest of it pretty much just comes from a tarot deck. You know, this, this, these are the archetypes that have been around for such a long time. The only one he left out was like the magician, you know, and he just switched it out for the priest. (laughs) Yeah. And, and, but usually when people, at least serious people are talking about archetypes, they're using them to describe something, you know, they're trying to explain what's going on. They're looking at, this is what this word means. Like, I don't want to, I don't want to get too sort of pedantic about this, but the archetype is like, basically it is like the mold that, that, that things are made out of, you know, is the base model that copies are made from and no copy is going to be the same as the original. So in that sense, the Jungian idea of archetypes is, is similar to the Plato's idea. Well, of ideas, 
you know, Plato's concept of ideas, where it is this pure form of something, you know, this, uh, this essential form. But Hawley is using it totally different, which in much more this uh, contemporary way, which is to describe, not to describe what something is or how something works, but to, to use it as a, as a prescriptive model for what somebody should do for the, mo- for the, the, basically using it as a mold that people are supposed to, or in this, in Holly's case, men force themselves into. And that it's a very, it's very similar. Like you see this in Manosphere stuff in, you know, outside of the Christian world, Manosphere stuff with the description of, you know, alpha, beta, gamma, delta, sigma males. And, the way they describe the qualities of each of these males. And in that particular case, you know, there's something of a hierarchy present. And I'm not really sure if there's a hierarchy present in, in Holly's idea or not. Again, no, his his incoher- his is just like it's, all it's these incoherent. things are supposed to be folded into the man as you're supposed to be all you're supposed to have all these aspects. And, yeah. and the crazy thing is all of these six archetypes, I, I'm not gonna venture so far forward to to ascribe to him reading this book, but it smacks of the, the mythopoetic book from, from the, uh, from that area uh, of the manosphere in the nineties, King warrior, magician lover by Robert Moore and Douglas Gillette. I I mean, it's, it's right there in with Robert Bly and the rest of that crowd from the nineties. In in the same but, sort but again, of Jungian, those guys, it's the same Jungian idea of yeah of this again mythopoetic poetic men's movement men's movement and it, it, to have him say like I mean uh, he he has king and warrior in his six he's he's mis- missing magician and lover in there but I mean lover you could probably swap for for uh, husband probably and then the magician is the priest that particular book like. They didn't come up with anything new when they came up with that. You know, like they're just rehashing the same stuff. Like this is very old stuff. You get the same stuff reading Joseph Campbell. Yeah. Like it's the same. It's the same deal with this whole monomyth idea that Campbell was talking about in the 70s. This ideas have been passed around for quite a long time. The hero's journey and all that. Yeah, absolutely. If Holly was more specific about his idea of the archetypes it would have just revealed that where they came from in the first place that he, they didn't originate with him. And, you know, so that's, that's why he was so vague about these. I think, I don't think he could be more specific without letting people know that he'd cribbed from these other people. And again, I'm not even super confident that how much he's even familiar with these people other than maybe, maybe it's the kind of thing where it's, it's sort of a, 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 knowledge by exposure in the honestly it kind of mirrors his his sunday school understanding of christianity where it's not like he's a fucking expert in this it's very clear that uh he has a a very loose grasp on the literature as far as the bible goes i mean the he doesn't break outside of genesis throughout the whole thing except for briefly to, to talk about Joshua and, and even more briefly about Solomon. But for the most part, he's sticking to the shit that, that uh, almost anybody who isn't even a Christian in the United States has heard of for his talking points about these things, this sort of superficial understanding that just comes from exposure in that crowd. And I wouldn't be surprised at all if he was just absorbing this shit by being around these crowds of the manosphere in his life in some way, shape or form, but not having read any of the manga, so to speak. Where does that expression come from? Oh, the manga expression. I mean, I know what manga is. Oh, it's, it's just an online meme. It, it, it's, it's typically in leftist circles that references, uh, basically the idea is that, um, I forget the exact phrasing, but the meme usually goes along the lines of, uh, somebody who's a huge fan of the TV show, but hasn't read the manga. So they, they like the, the easy to digest shit, but they haven't read the, the literature. 
I don't okay. know. It, it may be like super uh, way too obscure fucking nerd culture mixed with leftist culture mixed with chronically online fucking culture. Hi, welcome to Jules. <laughs> I didn't realize there was a big leftist manga crossover. Well, I mean, that's the context where I usually see it, where it's it's used kind of tongue in cheek as, to reference that on the boards. I, I don't <laughs> hang out on the boards, Sean. I'm not that cool. <laughs> I, I think we should wrap this up. I think that sounds pretty good there. I, I, but I want to know after reading after reading Holly's book, give us give us your rating out of five stars. Out of five stars, can I use can I use negatives? Nope. <laughs> Sean, uh, I'm going to give it zero out of ten. I wouldn't eat it. <laughs> I'll give it one star just because it's a book. It has words in it. It's it's letters on a page. It's been printed. It has a cover. Just because it exists, I'll give it one star. He did it. He made something with his own two hands. Well, one of them. He's probably not ambidextrous. <laughs> <laughs> Any final thoughts on Holly's book? I, you know, I think the the key takeaway here is that we we see another example of something that I rail against all the time. I don't know if rail against or talk about, however you want to phrase it. But there is this vacuum in American society. Marx talked about the alienation of labor, sure enough. And once we reach neo-Marxists and and situationists and other folks who added more sophistication with in, in, in later dates with, with more context, we, we find an, an understanding of culture that, that goes beyond just the material alienation from the fruits of your labor. But there is this ever pervasive alienation that seems to keep cropping up every, every kook, every grifter, uh, every extremist that we've covered with very few exceptions is somehow related in some way, shape or form to some kind of social alienation. Either the people that they're grifting are alienated and that's how they buy into it, or they themselves bought into some kind of deep rat. They, they went down the rabbit hole because of some form of alienation and I don't really have necessarily a solution to this, but I can say that there is a, a lack of community that is absolutely being fulfilled by people like Holly with totally incoherent thoughts like this. If for no other reason, then there is nothing else. And this is the closest thing with an arm's reach. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree with that. And that's a uh, like back to what I was saying earlier about the the tr the the trade that Holly is asking people to make, where you know this idea of appealing to this working class group of people and using this sort of language of solidarity, but asking them to to give up all of their their workers' protections in exchange for voting to make your state a right to work state or something like that. You know, this is the, the idea that you're going to trade your union card in for tithing at the church. And what, what he's at, he's he's trying to play on this this uh, this disaffection that people have and, you know, the sense of alienation that they have where, where they don't really feel like they, they strongly belong in the, in the community where they're living or maybe it's not even, is it even a community of it anymore if people don't really feel like they're members of the community? You know, what, what is it really when you have a collection of people that live in proximity to one another that don't really feel like they're, they, they share an experience? You know, what would you even call them? Even Holly touches on, on consumerism and, and, and similar topics. He just fucking misses the point. Well, I, I don't, I don't think so much that the idea is, I mean, I don't see it so much like that. I mean, I see that I see that position expressed a lot that, oh, you know, somebody was was almost there. They almost got there, but then they, you know, they stopped too soon or they went the wrong direction. 
they're drawing different conclusions about these things. They're identifying very similar problems, which are structuralist problems, you know, which are systemic problems. But they are, they're drawing conclusions that are basically They've created this kind of like dead spot in their worldview where they're not allowed to see any sort of collective solutions. They're not to, they're not allowed to see any kind of collectivist solutions or, or any solutions that require the state to intervene. It's like somebody that has a macular degeneration. You know, where you're like, you're looking straight ahead, but you just see a black spot instead of whatever's right in front of you. Or, or it's almost like lesions in the brain where you just can't access that area of it. And you're, and you're not allowed, you know, they don't let themselves see a solution that, you know, for a, a class problem that, you know, they don't let them see, let themselves see a class solution. They don't let them see anything that imag- that that involves people working together or coming together or sharing common circumstances and and getting relief in some way. And uh, you you mentioned the state and and I even want to divorce from divorce this idea from from that notion, although that's certainly there in their worldview for sure. But but as you're as you're emphasizing here, this collective action, this coming together of communities, where really these worldviews have no problem with the state that is part of the rhetoric that's part of the professed ideology at least in the talking points but they have no problem with the state they love police they love the military they love big government i'm saying that they they have issues in regards to exploitation and like being taken advantage of specifically in the like a corporate type structure you know, that, that we find ourselves in where, where we have these corporate powers that have so much influence over the way we live our, live our lives. They don't, they don't allow for any sort of a, of a regulatory environment. Absolutely. Yeah. That's absolutely anathema. Well, I mean, we, we don't have to go down that rabbit hole because you could have stateless democracy, but that's neither hither nor thither. I guess what I'm saying is that you, uh, the difference between what I'm saying and, and a state is simply that one is a central governing body and the other is a decentralized governing body. But I'm just saying that you can have a you can have a governing body that does have regulations that are enforced that is not a state. I mean, my 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 chief differentiation between that and the state is one is a centralized body. But but that's neither here nor that's not really the point of this. Really, all I'm I'm getting at is that in all of this, I think you and I are are in accord in really the the thrust of what we're both saying is that there is no room in in the minds of people like Holly for any kind of community action any kind of uh and uh, union activity any kind of collective action that would go against the dominant power structures as they are people like Holly they they use the same Echoing back what we talked about earlier, how they use this this sort of vaguely collectivist language to get the attention and speak to the problems that 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 an average blue collar worker, they at least the way they imagine it, is facing right now, which is going to be inflation, job insecurity, food insecurity, um, maybe trouble paying medical bills, that kind of stuff. You know that 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 people are facing. Especially on the you know the 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 lower rungs of the middle class on down, and then you know they use this this language of solidarity that we're in this together and we're all doing this, but that the solutions do not ever involve any solidarity. the The solutions are always spiritual solutions or ideological solutions. They're never solutions that ever involve any sort of of actual relief from the things that people are suffering from. There are always these these hyper individualist views of the world. They're non solutions, is what they are. It's it's all you know. It's the the whole thing is just is just a balm. You know, it's just a soothing, but never actually solving it. It's like taking you know NSAIDs or something like that, pain relievers. But you know, you still have a you still have a broken thumb, and what you need is to go to a doctor, and you know. But instead, they just give you the thing that's going to kill the pain. Or make you forget about it. I mean, maybe even worse than NSAIDs. Maybe it's more like an opiate. Thank you once again for listening to an episode of Wetwire. 
If you want extra premium episodes like our last one where we ran down General Michael Flynn's Grift Highlight Reel, subscribe to us on Patreon for just five bucks a month. And if you aren't able to subscribe or just quite aren't quite sure it's worth it yet, we now have a free trial membership available. That is exciting. So you can basically just listen to our subscriber-only content for around seven days or so without paying anything. And you could just do a marathon and listen to everything and then just cancel it. <laughs> and that's totally that, fine that, to do. That, We're okay with that. <laughs> that's how that's supposed to work, right? Where people can just take all of our premium stuff and listen to it for free. <laughs> hey, that's that's usually how I do it. I just do a, a binge watch in seven days. Right, exactly. It's just like getting, you know, ditching your Hulu membership or something like that, your, your Netflix subscription. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at WetWiredPod. And there's also our Discord. The link to that will be in the episode description. I think we covered everything. Do we need to repeat it? Right, like the, the end of the commercial? That's <laughs> wet-wired pod. Wet-wired pod. <laughs> <laughs> the, the War and Peace Report, the, the Report.com or whatever she says. <laughs> over and over and over again. <laughs> later, skaters. See you later, everyone. Hey men, Josh Hawley here. I am so excited to be with you for Stronger 2023. I have loved going to this conference in years past. I'm super excited to be part of the speaker lineup this year. It is coming really quick. So get registered today and I'll see you there. All right, what is up guys? So we are about to go to Springfield today. Uh, we're gonna go to the gas station first, get us a crap ton of energy drinks because uh, we're going to a men's conference. Um, and better say they're gonna have like a bunch of like stuff there and activities. We're gonna do uh, paintball, probably airsoft, one of the two. Come on, boy, Josh here with me today. So, yeah, we're gonna do that, get some energy drinks, and then. Uh,